If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at it several places as we look at the amazing grace of the cross. And as we look at the cross, I think it's interesting that, you know, there are a lot of holidays. As a matter of fact, just about every holiday that we have, whether it be Christmas, whether it be Thanksgiving or Easter, the uh, world's market will market those and use those to turn it to uh, a very successful and lucrative time of the year where money can be made, where marketing can exist to help you further understand a brand. But the one day that you don't really see that occurring very much is Good Friday. Now, sure, people will get a day off from work, but you don't hear all the commercials and all the advertisements. Come in this Good Friday as we celebrate the execution of Jesus uh, with a special uh, buy one, get one free pair of shoes or whatever it is that they're marketing. We, you really don't see Good Friday marketed much from a secular nature. It's because of what it stands for. It's because it was a time of sacrifice. It was a time of betrayal. In fact... It was a time where Jesus died. And try as we may, it's just kind of a morbid concept to really try to market. Now, for the believer and for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we recognize the importance of Good Friday. We recognize in some senses that it's one of the most important days of the year, only probably behind that of Easter itself when Jesus rose. But if not for the cross, the Bible makes it clear we could not know forgiveness of sins. The cross is where God's judgment meets God's mercy and is wrapped up in love. That's what the cross of Jesus is. And as we see in Scripture, it is clearly necessary it is essential in our salvation. The New Testament alone mentions the cross 175 times. As we look at the cross, I want to read a story to you that we've all heard hundreds of times, but just think about it as I read it. I'm going to read it from the message, Eugene Peterson's modern version. I usually read either New American Standard or NIV, but I want you to just listen as I read the story of the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23. Two other criminals were taken along with Jesus to execution. When they got to the place of the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and another on his left. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. There are seven great statements made from the cross. Jesus actually made more statements than that, but there are seven that are recorded. This is probably one of the most important ones, certainly one that should resonate in our minds. Dividing up the clothes, they, drew, they threw the dice for them. The people stood there staring at Jesus. The leaders made faces, taunting him. He saved others. Let him save himself. The Messiah, God, the chosen one? The soldiers also came and poked fun at him, making a game of it. They toasted him with sour wine. So you're the king of the Jews. 
save yourselves or save yourself. Printed over him was a sign. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging alongside him cursed him. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. By now it was noon. The whole earth became dark. And the darkness lasting three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtain split right down the middle. And Jesus called loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands. And then he breathed his last breath. There are different sides of the cross. And we see, of course, Jesus, who hung upon the cross, had two others that hung beside him. And one looked at the cross through one set of lens and the other through another. One criminal chose to see the cross and to see Jesus as his hope. He chose to recognize that he was a sinner, that he needed forgiveness, that he needed Jesus, while the other simply mocked him, simply made comments and projected his anger upon him and upon the cross of which Jesus hung. It's really not that different than today. There was a man, Mark Conte, in Alabama who last year decided that he would build a nine-foot cross near a major highway. And he put stakes in the cross. And although he did not have them driven through his hand, he put fake blood upon his body on Good Friday and got upon the cross and held himself there for a couple of hours. And as people went by, some became angry. And they said, that's disgusting. There's no need for all that. While others thought, how touching. What a great visual reminder. And he said others didn't even seem to notice he was there as they just drove by. There's a picture of our world today and how we view the cross. We have to make a decision And we have to make a determination. What will we do with the cross of Christ? Will we ignore it? Will we embrace it? Or will we just choose to pretend like it really makes no difference? One thief was dying in sin. Another thief was dying out of sin. But Jesus was dying for their sin. You know, the cross is not pretty. Today we usually have one, and certainly most of the time Jesus is not on it. And we have pretty crosses. We have crosses that are sanitized, that are elegant, that we can wear, and they make us look good. And people who don't even believe in Christ or affiliate with Christianity can wear a cross as decoration. But that would have been a completely morbid thought. During the time of Jesus, when literally during that time, hundreds of people 
were being crucified on a weekly basis. That would have been like hanging an electric chair around your neck and wearing it. It was just kind of a morbid thought. But throughout history, it's become more palatable, particularly when we don't think of Christ and his blood being upon it. There are some lessons we can learn from the cross. As I mentioned to you, there are seven great statements that are made. You've probably heard them before. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. I thirst, which emphasized the humanity of Christ. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That first one, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the hallmark of our faith, forgiveness. And Jesus certainly expressed that. But who was he expressing that to? Was he expressing that to the soldiers who had literally taken the nails and drove them through his hands and his feet? Was he saying that to Pilate and perhaps the religious officials who had, in a sense, caused it, and Pilate who had the the opportunity to stop it but let it go on? Was he even saying that to the disciples who somehow managed to lose their way come cross time? Or is he saying that to all of us throughout history who would hear the truth and the message of the word of Christ and the truth of the cross? I believe he's saying it to me today. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe he said it for you. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't have any desire to know him or seek him, Christ died for us. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's so interesting to me that seven weeks later, at the end of Pentecost, and at this time, Jesus has not only died, but he has rose again. We know that over 500 have seen him. Wholesale revival is breaking out. We know that several thousand have already come to to know Christ. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible tells us that some of the priests even came to believe. Some of those who had maybe mocked him, who had maybe been in favor of his crucifixion, we don't know. But we know that even priests came to realize he was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the God. What about you this morning? Have you come to that realization? Have you received the fruits of his prayer of forgiveness? The second lesson I believe that the Bible also teaches us through the cross is that of outreach. That Jesus reached out to the thief in a time of pain and agony. In a time where we would just be thinking, let's just get it over with. Jesus reaches out and encourages and receives this thief. Though his companion would mock him, he chooses to reach out and extend grace to the thief on the cross. It's interesting. He says, this day you will be with me in paradise. And that word paradise is actually a Persian term. And in that particular time, the Persian king would have the 
If he wanted to really honor someone and make them a part of his intimate fellowship, he would invite them to his private garden. And there that individual would come and have communion, so to speak, or be honored by the king in his personal garden. It was reserved for a very precious few. Jesus uses that term, a term that this man would probably understand, and says, today you will be with me. And he gives us that opportunity as well to know him in fullness and intimacy today by receiving of his grace and forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. It's interesting that Jesus didn't demand a ceremony at this point. He didn't demand a ritual but he demanded faith and acceptance of who he was. We also see Jesus caring for those with whom he has been given to care for. He takes care of his mother at this point, even though you would think at this time that would not be a thought on his mind. He entrusts her to the apostle John, to the disciple John. The lesson that I gleaned from that is who or how am I providing for those who have been entrusted to me spiritually? What am I doing for those who God has placed under my care? Am I letting the pains of the world scream so loud that I fail to take on my responsibility? Another lesson when God that I believe that we can glean from this. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I learned from that that God can handle the hard questions. He can handle the tough questions. As he cried out, as Matthew twenty-seven forty-six says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why in this moment, my moment of struggle, as the sin has been placed upon me, the sin of the world, I do not sense and know your presence. You know what that frees me up to do? That frees me up to ask the hard questions of God and to just be painfully honest in my prayer life. I really believe God can handle that. So many times we think we're being so spiritual because we think, well, I don't want to say this to God, but this is what I'm really feeling. This is what I'm really thinking. This is the frustration that is really welling up in my heart. You know what? He already knows it. And we honor him when we're willing to confess that out of our mouths in our times of prayer to him and getting honest and real with God. God is big enough to handle it. If he can handle the word from Jesus, he can handle our tough questions as well. And lastly, his sufficiency. The sufficiency of the cross. It is finished to tell us that it is finished, it is completed. It literally means to carry out and to accomplish that which has been set forth. Well, what was accomplished? What was completed? Well, the rituals were finished. At this point, no longer was it a requirement for the sacrificial system to continue. Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice that was required in Leviticus 16 that the sins of the community must be placed upon the animal and then the blood must be shed and then applied to the community. 
No longer was it required. The blood sacrifice, as the author of Hebrews tells us, had been finished and completed once and for all. Salvation had been paid in full. It doesn't mean that there's not a responsibility on our part to be faithful, to follow God and His commands and to honor and walk with Him. But it means that the salvation aspect has been completed and been fulfilled. That it is incumbent upon us to now receive of the grace that has been offered. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10:14, For by the one offering He perfected forever all those whom He is making holy. And then next, the power of the cross. We know the power of the cross was predicted. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Many of you are very familiar with this passage. Isaiah 53. And I want to begin in verse 4. As you see the predictions that were fulfilled through Jesus, through the cross. In verse 4, surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows and considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Bible also tells us in Psalms twenty-two seventeen, the wicked have enclosed me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. These scriptures were written hundred years, hundreds of years before the crucifixion of Christ. The cross was voluntary by Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2.24, He personally carried away our sins by His own body on the cross so that we who are dead in sin live for righteousness. By His wounds we have been healed. And it was substitutionary. For God made Christ who had not sinned to be sin offering for our sins so that we might be made right through Christ Jesus. There's a theological term that is extremely important in our faith, and it's called this. It's called substitutionary atonement. Now, we know the word atonement means covering. We've talked that before. It's something that covers you. It's covered, okay? But the word substitutionary is really pretty much what you think it means. It's like when we were in school and we had a substitute teacher. Someone came and took the place of the person who was supposed to be there. So Jesus took our place. We were supposed to pay for our sins. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death in, in Romans six twenty three. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so the wages of sin is death. That was supposed to be us, but Christ substituted our place. He took our place upon the cross and he covered us. It's substitutionary atonement that he willingly gave for us so that we might experience heaven, paradise, fellowship with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth would not perish but have everlasting Christ, everlasting life. Now, what is your response to the cross what is your response? In verse 27, many mourned and lamented and some were in sorrow over Jesus' death. And he told them, don't, don't weep for me. 
there is destruction coming upon Jerusalem. But, you know, Jesus really isn't looking for our pity. He wasn't looking for sympathy that day. He was looking for repentance. Today, Jesus doesn't want your sympathy as you look upon the cross, as you think about his sacrifice and his blood. What he desires is faith and repentance. Still, others will not just be sorrowful. They will just simply be indifferent. They will do like those who drove down the highway when they noticed there was someone hanging on a cross. They will just pretend like they don't see it. They will do like many probably did that day when Jesus was crucified. They just kept going on their way. That's too bad, but it doesn't affect me. It doesn't make a difference for me. But there's the last response that God desires for us to have. And it's that we embrace the faith. We embrace the cross. That we put our faith into what Jesus has done. We transfer our faith from anything that we could ever do. For anything that we could ever know or obtain. To what Jesus has done upon the cross for us. And we receive the forgiveness. That's exactly what the thief did. If you have your Bibles, turn back with me to Luke chapter 23. And let's finish up there. As we recognize... In verse 40, what the thief did. Luke 23, beginning with verse 41, the thief said, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He utters nine words. First of all, he confesses in verse 41. We see that he confesses his wrong. He recognizes his position. He recognizes his condition. And then he says these nine words. Jesus, Yeshua, one who saves, remember me. That word remember in the Semitic language, in the Hebrew language, many Jews would say is the most important word in their language. It is pregnant. With meaning. And it's more than just a mental recognition of. It's an embracing. Yeshua, embrace me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes that he's not just a man. He says, when you come into your kingdom. Now, how much theology he understood? Probably a whole, not a whole lot. But here's what he knew he knew this he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that Jesus was someone who could save him, and he confessed him as Lord. That's exactly what he asked us to do today. What will you do with the amazing grace of the cross? About two and a half years ago, we purchased this land, and when we did, we put a cross out on it. And sometimes we would come out here with groups, and we'd have times of prayer, and we would pray for those who would see the cross and for those who would come one day and that people would come and, and know Christ because of the cross of Christ. And not long ago, there was a lady and she was sharing in uh, her Bible study and she was sharing to, with her teacher and her leader. She said, you know, when that cross first went up, as I began to see that cross, I began to think, you know what? I believe God is speaking and every time I would go to work, I would come by that, about down this road, and I would see that cross, and it would just, I couldn't help but look and think, 
that God was drawing me and drawing me back to him. And so as I would see that cross, I recognized it looked like they were going to begin to build something. I thought it might be a church. And then I found out it was a church. I remember going home and telling my husband, if they build a church there, I'm going to go there. I want to go. And so she saw that cross, and as she waited for it to come, she came. And she's involved here today, and she was sharing that story. One of her leaders shared with her, she said, Did you know that as you were driving down that road, as we would often meet, we would pray that those who would see the cross would come to know Christ and would come and be a part of our fellowship? And she said, The hairs on my body just stood up as I, I realized that Jesus had been drawing me through that cross. Today, Jesus is drawing you to the cross. Will you receive 